Uh, we're going to read from the book of 2 Kings, but you need to be aware that you should never make fun of a bald guy. In the Old Testament, now this is true, if you read in 2 Kings, there's this one part where a bunch of kids come out and call Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha, baldy. This is true. Then lions come out and kill the kids. I read that yesterday and I thought, shoot, he was kind of sensitive. All right, let's take a look. No, I'm serious. You know, just called in on the lions, kill the kids. It just sounds terrible. All right, take a look here with me. The, we're going to continue our study of living the greater life just before we get to that. I do want to point this out to you one more week. Uh, last week, we had 40 or 50 people. I told you I need 80 uh, for the early childhood department. The, I can use another 30 or 35. The, if you've ever wanted to meet my wife, you should sign up for early childhood department. Not only does she run that department, but she'll be the one call and scheduling you. She calls everyone and schedules them. And so, if, you, if you're not involved in ministry, this is a great opportunity for you to get involved in ministry. When you walk down that the row of classrooms in early childhood uh, department, you just get this sense that the kids are excited to be there. This is an opportunity to minister children while they're still cute. I'm sorry, while they're at their, at their most precious stage of life. But when you walk through there and you see the joy on their faces, it's just something that you're gonna wanna be involved in. Last night at the Saturday service, the, in uh, the infant room, there was a set of quads in there. And so we had like six or eight infants in there, but there was, there was an adult assigned for each one of those babies. It was just, it was a lot of fun last night. And so I just encourage you, if you're not involved in ministry, it's a great way not only to serve others, a great way to be a blessing to children so that they can feel safe and secure and feel the love of Jesus, but also for an opportunity for you to begin to meet some other people at Cornerstone. So I'd love for you to get involved there. You can fill that out and hand it to an usher or hand it to the guest services desk after the service. All right, take a look with me in Scripture. We're studying today in 2 Kings chapter 2, and then we'll also read a passage from 2 Kings chapter 4. In the first passage, we have Elijah and Elisha. Remember, we have these two guys. Elijah has been the prophet in Israel, and Elisha last week had Elijah's mantle of authority placed on his shoulders, and he burns the plow and goes off into ministry with Elijah. Now, this week, we are approaching the end of Elijah's ministry. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. Underline that. I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And there's a nice holiday in here with a pool. You can just rest here for a few days. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. Underline it a second time. So they went to Jericho. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me over to, across the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. Underline that. In other words, I want you to begin to get this picture of commitment and loyalty and love. So the two of them walked on. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha. Now, Elijah is at the end of his ministry. And he turns to Elisha and he says, tell me, what can I do for you? Underline that. What can I do for you? What can I do for you before I am taken from you? Now, Elisha's response is, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. What he's saying is, 
I want to be like you, but even more. I want a double portion of God's blessing. I want to have double effectiveness in my ministry. I want to see the great things that God has done through you. Only I want to see even more done through my own life. This was the request that he made. Now, take a look at 2 Kings chapter 4. Elijah has passed from the scene, and Elisha is now the prophet in Israel. The wife I'm sorry, the wife of a man from the company of prophets, there was a group of prophets, cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slave. Notice they were in debt bondage, and so the boys could be sold into slavery. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Now, notice her response. Her response is, I have nothing. Circle the word nothing. I have nothing. I have no hope, I have no ability to take care of this, I don't have anything to work with, I've got nothing. Except, underline the word except. It's important for you to get this concept. People will often see that I have no way out of this and then you're going to be the catalyst to help them see the small first step. Except, I have a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said to her, go around and ask all your neighbors for all their empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour the oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. Let's be clear. She's going to take the little jar and fill up all the big jars. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. The miracle stops at the time when the jars run out. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what's left. Take a look back on the right-hand side. The greater life is intentionally intergenerational. The intergenerational aspect of the church is something that's always been there. There's always this passing down of the truths from one generation to the next. The, the modern day church is struggling to adapt to the fact that we no longer are just a, a, a two generation church. Here at Cornerstone, there are literally four generations being ministered all at the same time. And so it's created all kinds of challenges for the church. Challenges in style, challenges in, in selection of music, challenges in lots of different areas because there are literally four different generations all well represented within our, our congregation. We want to be a church that ministers to everybody who comes through the door. And so working to do that isn't always an easy thing. But I'm not talking about the church ministering across generations. I'm talking about you ministering across generations. As we began our study of the greater life last week, we want to continue with that idea. The greater life is a life that recognized that it's to be lived intergenerationally. Take a look at number one with me. Elijah, Elisha. Now, we would call this a mentor-mentee relationship, but we would be wrong. This is not a mentor-mentee relationship. It's a spiritual father-spiritual son relationship. Now, it's important that you distinguish between the two. A spiritual father is going to be different than a mentor. There are lots of mentors who may give you advice, but a spiritual father is different. In the New Testament, we have the example of the Apostle Paul is a spiritual father to Timothy. And so there's a different kind of relationship. And so naming this relationship correctly helps us do a lot of things. The first thing it does, fill in letter A, it speeds up decision-making. 
this last week, Pastor Josh, who has been such a blessing to me over the last year and a half to two years, the Pastor Josh came in and he talked to me. He said, you know, Pastor Ron, one of uh, my staffers, and he explained the situation to me. And, and so I, I said, okay, the, go ahead and send him down to see me. And you know, that from the time I sent Josh out of my office to this other young staff person sitting in my office was a matter of just a few minutes. Friends, I didn't need to take a long time to weigh. I didn't need to take a long time to pray. I didn't need to do it. All I had to do was when he sat down, I said, you need to remember, I raised two boys, and I'm going to talk to you like one of my own. And we had a very candid conversation. And I closed the conversation by saying to him, I'm not talking to you this way because I'm angry with you. I'm not. I'm talking to you this way because I love you. And he got up, came around the desk, and he hugged my neck. Friends, I could do all of that quickly because I just had to treat him like one of my sons. In other words, if he did something wrong, I was going to not only correct him, but I was going to love him. If he made a bad decision, I was not only going to counsel him on making a better decision, I was going to do it in a way that communicated that nothing he did was going to separate him from me in my love for him and my commitment to him. We have, when we have this clearly in our minds that as a spiritual father, we are talking to a spiritual son or daughter, we can do it more quickly because we just have to remember that we are going to treat them with the same love that we would treat one of our own children. Take a look at letter B. When you name it correctly, it help is, helps you focus on love instead of, uh, instead of manipulation, focusing on helping them and avoiding manipulation. We can focus on giving instead of what we're going to get from them. Friends, it's awfully easy when we get into a mentor-mentee relationship that somehow we're, we're going to use one another. There's no using one another in this relationship. Elijah is going to pass from the scene and hand the reins to Elisha. And so he had his best interest at heart. Elisha has the people of Israel uppermost in his mind. Everyone's motive is based on giving, not on manipulating. When I name this relationship right of spiritual father, spiritual son, look at letter see, it reinforces the need for mutual respect. The Bible teaches that we are to respect our father and mother. The Bible teaches that we are to respect those who are elders in the Lord. The Bible says that we are to be especially respectful to those who are in leadership in the body of Christ and especially those who teach. The Bible teaches this respect towards those who have walked the path before us. But the Bible also teaches that we are to have respect for our children. The Bible says specifically, provoke not your children to anger. Oftentimes in households, we develop the terrible habit of continual teasing, laughing, joking, all that. I don't have an objection to, but be cautious about continually teasing a child, provoking them to anger, trying to see if you can get them riled up. The Bible teaches against this. You're sowing seeds that you'll not want to reap in in the future. This idea of mutual respect between father and son is what the Bible teaches us. And so in the spiritual father, spiritual son, spiritual mother, spiritual daughter relationship, remember, there's to be that gentleness and respect. There's to be that love relationship. This is why I had you underline that line. I will not leave you. I will not leave you. I will not leave you. This commitment from both the spiritual son and the spiritual father. Take a look at number two. The greater life recognizes it's not the solo life. And we started talking about this last week. We said we live the greater life together, not separately. It's not the solo life. It's an investing life of giving and receiving. Now, I want to walk you through some counsel 
Now, when I talk about this, it's easy for you to think of this as an age thing. But I just want to be clear to you. I have young men and young women that they are, I am working to treat them as spiritual sons and daughters. But I also have men and women that I look at as spiritual parents. In other words, when I have a problem, I'm not quite sure what to do, I pick up the phone and call them. This isn't about how old you are. This is about the the context of the relationship. I am a spiritual father to some, and I am a spiritual son to others. So whichever side of the equation you are on, I want to give you some counsel. When you are in the role, letter A, of spiritual father or mother, that's what that F slash M stands for. The greater life gives more than it receives. It has the attitude of, what can I do for you? What can I do to be a blessing to you? The, as young staff people come through my office, and I, I'm giving you this example because this is where I work. However, this is not limited to ministry. That's what I'd like us to begin to see. The greater life is lived intergenerationally where you work where you have the opportunity to touch other people's lives, where you have a younger guy in your men's Bible study or a younger lady in your women's study, where you come into contact with others and have the opportunity to pour into them. That's what we're talking about. So the greater life gives more than it receives. It focuses on what can I do to be a blessing to you? But for the spiritual son or daughter, look at the next one, let her be with me. The greater life knows that it stands on the shoulders of those who have tilled before them. This is why he asked for a double blessing. He's saying, I want to be like you, only even more. He recognized the debt that he owed to Elijah. Friends, my father poured his ministry into me. My father never pastored a church of more than, I don't know, maybe maybe between three and 400 people his entire life. He pastored church for 50 years. It was never larger than that. The cornerstone is 10 times the size. But my brother's church is 10 times the size of the church that my father pastored. But we recognize that it's because we stand on his shoulders. My dad taught us the basics of ministry. My dad taught us how church works. He taught us about leadership in the church. He taught us how to handle conflict. My dad was the best guy in a conflict you've ever met in your life. And he taught my brother and I how to handle it. Here at Cornerstone, we have this policy. If there's a problem, we're going to talk about it. The, one of the mistakes leaders make is there's a problem in the church and everyone gets all nervous and everybody gets, you know, oh man, we just, you know, let's just, let's pretend it's not. You need to know that ain't us, okay? Here at Cornerstone, the, you know, there's conflict averse and then way down here on the other, other end, there's me looking for a fight. All right. And so, you know, I just want you to know, I learned that from him. He taught me that if Christ followers sit down and address the problem, address the conflict, the, as long as they allow the Holy Spirit to control, they will work through it. Genuine reconciliation doesn't come from sweeping stuff under the rug. Genuine reconciliation comes from openness and honesty and gentleness with one another. The, I learned that. I got to stand on his shoulders. My brother got to stand on my father's shoulders. Friends, the I am now in the position that, that I have to invite others to stand on mine. You know, when I look at the worship team the, from week to week, you know, there's so many people. There's like 70 or 80 people that play on wor- the worship teams around here. And so there, there's always quite a mix going on. But you notice the, the, the big guy who was over here, Ron Clinton, he had on the, the Mickey Mouse shirt underneath his. Did you guys notice he had a Mickey Mouse shirt on there? I don't know what he was thinking when he got dressed this morning. But he had this Mickey 
Mickey Mouse shirt on underneath his coat. And, and you know, I, I thought about it. Pastor Ron Clinton, he was the worship pastor the day we opened the church. He's been here the entire time. You know, and he and I worked together for years before we even came to plant the church. And you know, I, I look at all of the men and women whose ministry is taking place because they stand on his shoulders. Mark, who usually leads here, he was playing drums today, but normally leads in this, in this service. Mark was just a snot-nosed kid running around Cornerstone, had a great talent to play the guitar. His dad had a great talent to, to play the guitar. But Pastor Ron Clinton worked with him and invited him into ministry. And Mark literally climbed on Clinton's shoulders to see farther and reach more for the kingdom of God. Mark's older brother is a worship pastor at another church in San Diego. His ministry is because Ron Clinton invited him to climb on his shoulders. You know what's going to happen over the course of the next several years? Those young men are going to invite someone else to climb on their shoulders. This idea of receiving and giving, this idea of recognizing and owing that debt of gratitude towards those who have gone before us. I want to make sure that I always acknowledge the fact this isn't because of what what I've done. It's because of what men and women of God have done for hundreds of years before me. Let's make sure we have that same humility of, of seeing that we have accomplished because God sent someone else to bless us. Look at the next one with me. Let her see. Fathers and mothers, remember that this is a coaching relationship, not a telling relationship. And this is hard because when our children are little, we are very directive. Pick up your toys. You know, don't stuff peas up your nose. I mean, we are telling them all kinds of things. You know, I remember walking in the kitchen one time and seeing cans all over the floor. And I'm thinking to myself, which one of those boys drug on? And then I opened one of the cupboards, and one of the boys was in the cupboard. And so I thought, all right, maybe his mother is storing him there. I'm just going to be quiet. You know, we're very directive. They get older, responsibility has to shift to them. Your goal as they come into young adulthood, your goal is that they would be making decisions on their own. Your goal is not to see how long you can get them to do what you tell them to do. Your goal is to help them to begin to make decisions. The, I remember the first day of law school, they told us that we are here to teach you how to think like lawyers. And th lawyers think really weirdly, but mostly we think about billable hours. And so, you know, we're just, we want you to think this way. Your job is to train them on how to think like Christian young men and women. And so that getting them to the point of making their own decisions, the majority of the time, when a staff person walks in and says, Pastor Ron, you know, I'm wondering, you know, what do you want me to do here? My answer is almost always the same. What do you think we ought to do? And unless it is just really, really bad, I'm gonna say, give that a try. If it doesn't work, we'll try something different. I want them to have the experience of success and of failure. We learn an awful lot from the stupid things that we've done. After they go through it, they'll come back in, they'll talk to me or they'll talk to one of the other senior staff people and they'll ask, all right, where did you go wrong? And we'll learn from the mistakes that we made. This idea of telling instead of coaching oftentimes just pulls us into... Just just causes us to separate and we lose the ability to hear someone who is telling us instead of coaching us. But then letter D, for spiritual sons and daughters, I do want to give you this caution. Make sure that you're looking for a coach and not a shortcut. Oftentimes people will say, well, you know, I really need someone to come along and mentor me when I get the impression you really want someone to come along and carry you. There's a difference. 
The, my eldest son had this bad habit. He'd be sitting in my office at the house we used to live in. He would sit uh, upstairs, my office upstairs. You could look down in the family room. And so he'd be in high school and he'd be up there typing reports on, on the computer up there. Or, you know, even into college, you know, he'd, he'd be up there typing something. And, you know, he'd say, Dad, how do you spell such and such? And, uh, you know, I'd tell him, well, I know. <laughs> he'd say, well, are you going to tell me? No. He said, Dad, tell me how to spell this. I said, son, you spell it D-I-C-T-I-O-N, because right above his head, there was a large dictionary. I thought he's on the internet. There are 18 million people. He's too lazy to even type it. Just wanted me to tell him. Friends, let's make sure that we're looking for a, a coach, not a shortcut. We want someone to pour their wisdom into us, not to do it for us. There's a difference there. But this idea of living intergenerationally, living as a spiritual father and living as a spiritual son or daughter, take a look at letter B. I want to talk to you about your first lesson. First lesson to teach them. Teach them that big dreams start with small steps. Now, this woman's dream is one that every mother would have. She said, I have a dream of saving my sons from slavery. Any mom in this position, that would have been her dream. But she is knee-deep in debt. There is no hope. She's got nothing. There's no pension. There is no way out of this. And so she goes to the prophet. Every once in a while, the, one of the staffers will say, yeah, you know, Pastor Ron, can you pray with me about that? And I'll tease them and say, has it come to that? Sometimes we use prayer as a last resort instead of as God directs us to bring our needs to him daily. But she has come to the prophet, and she is at the last resort. Look at number one. When they despair, offer them help and hope. Hope. Discouragers are a dime a dozen. Be their encourager. Elijah's words are calming upon her. He doesn't explain everything. He doesn't tell her everything that's going to happen. He's just there, and she senses that God's going to do something. Be an encourager, even when they feel despair. I'll be candid with you. One of the most, one of the most difficult things that I struggle with, with generations that have come after mine, is oftentimes I feel like they are trapped in despair. Oftentimes I'll get the impression that they are, are, are so discouraged with their potential futures. You need to know that's not true. I have great confidence in you. You are going to do more in this church and in our community and our world than the generations before you have ever dreamed of. What we are going to do is we're going to invite you to step onto our shoulders and we're gonna take the little bit of wisdom we've got and with the wisdom God's gonna pour out on you and God is going to do greater things through you than he has done through any previous generation because that's exactly what God has done throughout his history. We have, you wanna know the, in fact, you guys remember the book, The Greatest Generation? How many of you remember that book? It was written by Tom Brokaw, that was it the greatest generation or the great generation? The greatest generation. You guys remember that book? The, Tom Brokaw wrote that about the generation that won World War II. Do you want to know what was written in the 1920s about that generation that was going to win World War II? It was written that this generation is the worst generation that has ever come down the pike. This generation will never amount to anything. That We are doomed if these are the leaders of the future. But those leaders grew into the young men and women who went back and drove back an evil the like of which the world had never seen before. Friends, oftentimes we pronounce doom on the generation following after us. You need to know God has not pronounced doom on the generation following after us. God has pronounced that if they 
they will humble themselves as he does in every generation. If they will humble themselves, turn away from sin, that he will be their God and they will be his children, that he will pour out his blessing upon them. Friends, when they feel despair, we need to come along and be their encouragers. Look at the next one, number two. Help them start using what they have instead of waiting for what they want. This woman said, I've got nothing. And upon closer inspection by the prophet, she said, well, wait a minute. I've got nothing except I've got this little jar of oil. Oftentimes, we'll dream a grand dream and want to go out and take a big step. No. Help them to understand grand dreams start with small steps. Let's go gather some jars. Take what you have in your hand, and we're going to begin to use it. Take a look at number three. So why small steps? It's simple. We don't quit forever. We quit for today. We don't conquer forever. We conquer today. Let me give you an example. Have you ever pushed yourself back from the table and say, I can't believe I have eaten all that. I will never overeat like that again. In fact, don't you pretty much say that every Thanksgiving? I will never eat that much again. Friends, we don't never, we don't always. No, we, we're going to try not to do it for today. There have been times when you've said something unkind about someone else and you've thought, just, man, I am never going to make that mistake again. No, no, no. Start small. Today, I am going to make sure that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart are a blessing to others. Today. I'm not going to make promises on the future. No, today, Lord, I'm going to commit before you. I'm going I'm to start small. If I conquer today and then tomorrow I get up and I conquer tomorrow, Then that day, I get up and I conquer that day. Over the years, God helps me conquer forever. God helps me leave this behavior behind and embrace this one. It's because I make a commitment each and every day. I walk every day. Every day, I walk. So, Ron, you you don't ever, no, 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 I walk every day. If I get out of bed, I go walk. No, it's just every day. But I, I can't say to you, I will walk every day the rest of my life. But I can tell you, tomorrow morning, when I wake up, I'm gonna go walk. And the next day after that, I, I'm going to go walk. There's, I do that every day, be, but I do it each and every day. Friends, we conquer one day at a time. Let's not dream grand dreams. Oftentimes, we're wanting to be Billy Graham. Let's start off as Fred Graham, okay? There was maybe a little bit lower expectation. Let's be the person that God uses today in the moment. This is what he has given us control over. Look at the next one with me. Number three, I, I'm sorry, under letter A, let me give you some examples of small steps. Becoming a mature believer starts with showing up, getting into a group, and serving. Oftentimes we have grand dreams of ministry. Let's start with what the Bible has told us. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. You know, Pastor Ron, someday I'd like to be in full-time ministry. I'll ask, do you attend faithfully? Well, you know I'm trying to. Are you in a group? Well, I've thought about it. Are you serving anywhere? Well, I don't know. I've heard you mention it. Friends, let's take the small steps. The large steps aren't coming until we take the small ones. The second example of a small step, many that want to continue their education never fill out the application. In other words, it's just a small step, but that's, the, that's where most people stumble, is they don't get the application turned in, and so they never actually get around to signing up for the class. I know people who have been going back to school for 20 years, and the application moves from one side of their desk to the other each and every week. Small steps are the start of the accomplishment of large dreams. How about this one? This one might resonate with you. Let her see. The diet starts with that cookie. 
How many of you have ever planned to start a diet tomorrow? As soon as I finish this, man, I am on the road. As you put that piece of cheesecake, man, as soon as I finish this piece, I am never eating one of these again. I mean, it's just always, no, 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 it starts with this small step. I was sitting at Barnes & Noble, this is about four months ago, and I generally go to Barnes & Nobles out of the area. The, for a long time, I, I would drive up to Corona until I was walking across the parking lot. I had three people say, hey, Pastor Ron, how are you? And so now I, I go to Mira Mesa, which is just a long way, but you're like locusts, you're everywhere. And so, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I remember several months ago, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm eating one of those, I'm drinking one of those large green teas. And you know, it, I appreciate the fact that they just keep getting bigger. And so now they've got one just almost my height. And so, you know, I carried it over to the table and sat down and, you know, it was sweetened. And, and I had on a, a, a little, I don't like it when they put it on a plate. I don't know, it just, I don't know, it seems sissified. But, you know, they, they, they just give me my, and I don't like them to heat it up either. But they, I just want my cookie, I just wanted a brown paper bag. And so, you know, it's kind of like those of you who drink. And so, you know, I just wanted the... <laughs> So I'm sitting there eating my cookie. <laughs> I have all these conflicted emotions. What really bothers me is why you thought that was so funny. Because it scares me just a little bit. All right, but I'm sitting there eating this, this cookie, and it's about half gone. And, and you know, I'm sitting there, and, and I'm literally eating this cookie saying, you know, i got to lose some weight. This cookie is like half gone, and all of a sudden I realize, well, shoot. So I got up and I picked up the bag and I walked over and I stood by the trash can for a minute and <laughs> contemplated. I stood there a minute and, you know, the trash can has one of those things that goes like this. And, and so I played with that for a minute. <laughs> Just wanted to take my mind off it. Because, I mean, this is half of a cookie. And these, are, these are really good cookies. It's those chocolate chunk. Because how many have ever had one of those before? And they are really good. I, I love those so much more than you. And so, you know, I was, <laughs> all right, maybe not, but... It's close. And so I'm sitting there, and you know, now it's down, I'm standing there thinking, you know, and so finally I opened up and I dropped it in the trash, and then I put my head down on the trash can. <laughs> Lady next to you, sir, are you all right? Yeah, I'll be okay. Just give me a minute. Friends, it starts with that cookie. What's the first lesson? Teach them that large dreams start with small steps. Our culture tells them the only way to pursue large dreams are through grand gestures, and that's not how it's ever been accomplished. In fact, if you go back and look at every great move of God that you see in the Bible, you, what you'll see is God will tell them, go down by the river and have, have the men kneel down and drink the water from the river and see how they do it. You know, the, have them go out and take the, the staff and just take, just take the staff and just reach down and touch the water and see what happens. You know, just, just go out and, in obedience and do what I've asked you to do. Go down to the River Jordan and dip seven times and see what I do. It always starts. It always starts just like this miracle started. Go and, you know, you got this little thing. Go and gather up a bunch of jars. Borrow them from all your neighbors. It doesn't start off with a grand move of God. No, it starts off with the small step being taken. But look at number four. Here's the critical piece. And obedience comes before blessing. There was no miracle coming to this woman until she gathered the jars. 
If she had said to Elisha, Elisha, I don't need more jars. I got plenty of, of pottery in my house. I've been on that plan where I buy a pot every week at the local grocery store. I got plenty of pots. What I need is I need help to save my two sons. If she had walked away and refused to be obedient, how would the story have changed? It would have changed by disappearing from the Bible. That's how it would have changed. Until she was willing to be obedient, God was not willing to pour out his blessing. Bow your heads with me for just a minute. You know, it's so easy for us to forget that God has called us to be sons and daughters spiritually to those who've walked the path before, and he's called us to be spiritual moms and dads to those who are coming after and you know, I just, I saw this here in our staff, just here recently. Pastor Josh is doing a fantastic job. Pastor Josh, in case you haven't figured it out, Pastor Josh is a spiritual son to me. Treat him nice. Treat him, treat him with love and gentleness because he's someone that I'm trying to pour in. I have several spiritual sons and daughters on staff and I'm grateful for each one of them. Be nice to them. But Pastor Josh, he started up a weekly staff meeting for his family department. And my wife is in that department. She came home and said, yeah, I, I have to go to a meeting every Wednesday afternoon. And I'm thinking, okay, so Pastor Josh is gonna have a meeting to talk to you about running early childhood. And, and at first, I kind of wondered about that because when Debbie started running early childhood department, Pastor Josh was like 14. She'd been, do from the time he was 14, she's run early childhood department all those years. And I thought, what exactly is he going to tell her? And I, I didn't say anything to him, but I just kind of watched each week as it unfolded. And she'd go in and she'd gripe every week because, I mean, she's one of these people that she's got stuff to do. She didn't want anything to interfere. And so she'd just kind of, oh, I got to go to a meeting. But each week she would go in and there'd be a discussion and she would talk to someone about, here's how I recruit. Here's how I encourage people in ministry. Here's how I schedule. Here's how I, I communicate value about what they're doing. Here's how I show appreciation. And week after week, she took those 22 and a half years of experience and she shared them, not with Pastor Josh. She shared them with the young lady who works in, in the children's department. Shared them with the young man works with junior hires and the young man who works with high schoolers. She shared them around the table. And she never knew it. She didn't know why she was there. But Josh had wisely brought her in because he wanted these other younger staffers to grow up to be like her. Friends, this is all I'm talking about today. Being a spiritual mom to that young woman who lives on your street being a spiritual dad, that young man who works beside you and has been coming to work each day talking about how he's struggling with his wife, talking about that young gal that sits in your Bible study that doesn't say so much and you can just tell that there's a heaviness of heart about her and she needs a spiritual mom to come alongside her. Doesn't replace her real mom or her real dad but a spiritual Paul, a spiritual Elijah. I am so grateful that my boys have enjoyed being a part of this congregation. When my youngest son 
goes over and drums in classic, I know there are spiritual moms and dads that are there with him. When Ron Clinton calls him up and says, hey, I need you to drum, or someone calls him and says, I need you in early, I'm so grateful for the spiritual moms and dads my boys have had. What I'm saying is the greater life for those who live intergenerationally. Dear Heavenly Father, right now, could your Holy Spirit touch this one and this one and that one to share what you planted in them with others? Lord, could you bring a, a little bit of humility to this one and to that one to recognize the debt they owe to those that put them up on their shoulders? Jesus, could you help all of us to come before you with a spirit of gratitude saying, Lord, please help us to daily pray for those who have poured into us and daily pray for those you give us the opportunity to pour into. Lord Jesus, that's the church we want to be. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen.